Some of you are thinking, I think I know where this sermon's going today. This shouldn't be too hard. John's finishing up Baptist distinctives of things we think that are important as Baptists. And you're thinking, oh yeah, those five Bibles I have in my house that I don't read and I hardly ever open, and, but then I get confused and I consult with people who tell me what those say when I get confused about a social issue. Maybe I should read my Bible more and I should spend more time in circles. All that's true. It's nothing to do with today's sermon, though, sorry. Um, it's way better than that. Absolutely, phenomenally better than that. Have you ever heard somebody talk about the Bible the same way they talked about the Ikea commercial and the Ikea commercial about the catalog? That it just kind of magically appeared, and if you follow the commercial, which you can show because Ikea is marketed everywhere, he hears this book speaking to him, and it's outside, and he goes from his apartment to another apartment and steals it off a doormat, and it speaks to him, and it's the meaning of life and everything he's done, like it just fell from the sky magically. And he's embedded to belief in a book that just fell from the sky. Have you ever heard people talk about the biblical books that way? The Bible, the Bible is this and the Bible is that. Now before you feel that I don't feel that the biblical books are important, I have a disclaimer that I wrote down very carefully and I want to read it. Hey, disclaimer, I have at least 60 graduate credit hours in either individual biblical books, history of the Bible, or background of biblical culture. This is not to mention the undergraduate work that I've done in that area. I write at least one Bible study a week that is published and requires people to pay for that service. I write an article once a month for a peer-reviewed theological journal that's reviewed across all Christian groups in the United States. And yes, I read my little green one-year Bible. I think the biblical books are very, very important. I feel the biblical books, used the way they're intended to be used, are the most valuable tool that we have as Christians. However, our Christian culture has been playing by rules that are outdated and been describing our faith in ways that is beyond belief outdated. Let me mention one to you. And it's a good thing I get to go on vacation. Hopefully my voice holds out. Starting next week, because you're going to think that John doesn't believe the Bible when I say this. This is one of the rules that you have sung and you have believed all of your life. Maybe you're missing the point. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Is that how you think of your faith? Is that what your faith is completely based upon? The reason you know Jesus loves you is because the Bible tells you so. A bunch of books that were collected together, probably around 400 AD, tell you so? That's why you know Jesus loves you? Now, if that's what you believe... Since I'm a Baptist minister, I believe in soul freedom, and in no way have I any desire to change your perspective of faith having to do that, because you have the right to have your faith. I will encourage you to disagree with me about things. I will encourage you to have your faith the way you have it, unless you have something that's just completely irrational. I understand why you would believe that and why you would talk about things that way, but I want you to consider 
If you want to function as a Christian who sounds like their brain is connected to the rest of their body in, the, in a postmodern world, you might not want to use the phrase, well, I know Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. Because anyone who is functioning with postmodern thinking, anyone who's been affected by any thinking process we have done in U.S. culture since the 9-11 experience is going to laugh in your face. Now that I have your attention, let me read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Writer of 2 Peter says, For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we were told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am very well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Just for this moment, sorry. Today in the day in church calendar, this is the day we celebrate the transfiguration. This is the writer of Second Peter making reference to the transfiguration when Jesus is on the mountain. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you would do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The writer of 2 Peter wants us to see that the narratives they were taught didn't just magically appear. Now, before you get all excited and think, I got this, the writer of 2 Peter is referring to Old Testament scriptures, which at this point have probably not been compiled into the Old Testament. They're not even that. They're copies of documents that people relied on as true that told a narrative. One more detail so that you understand that I'm doing my job as a minister in an American Baptist church. Let me read you the line. One of the lines that refers to the Bible in the American Baptist, US, American Baptist identity statement. It says that the Bible is the final authority and trustworthy for faith and practice. It is to be interpreted responsibly under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit within the community of faith. I would like to point out that I do not see anything in there that tells me I just believe the Bible because it says it. You continue on the American Baptist identity statement in a version that's existed since the 1800s. It will also say that the main purpose of the biblical text is to point to Jesus. Not some words about it fell from the sky and has the answer to life, and the meaning of life is 42. I do not hear the words, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That hymn and children's song is half right. Jesus loves me, this I know. But it's way better than the Bible tells me so. And if your faith is based upon that, that's fine. But go with me for a second. Why do I make a big deal out of this? Why have American Baptists made a big deal out of this since the 1800s? You know that friend, that coworker, that family member, that supervillain that functions in your life, that 
kind of pokes at your faith, kind of gouges at it, can't believe that you believe that stuff. Oh, that's right, you're going to be too busy reading your Bible. Oh, you have to go to church. You really believe that stuff? If you can't think of someone, then maybe you're not talking about your faith enough, but that's a different conversation. We all have somebody who does that. Some of them are people who we love and cherish. Some of them are people who you are terrified that they don't have a relationship with God. And it terrifies you. And maybe there's some talk at a social event about, about some social issue. And you try to express what you believe in your faith and you get made fun of because, well, you just believe the Bible. Or you talk about why Jesus is important and all of a sudden they say, well, you do believe that stuff in the Bible and all that can come out of your mouth is, well, I believe the Bible because I do. And that's all that comes out of your mouth because you're panicked and you're not ready and it's okay. And even when you have something intelligent to say, they spit out to you the hypocrisy of somebody you know who says there's a follower of Jesus or they make fun of your hypocrisy as a follower of Jesus. And you just get frustrated. And then they laugh off where you think they're laughing at you and they wonder, how can you believe something so silly? Aren't you more enlightened than that? Currently, this may change in the sense this comes out, currently 25% of the United States population claims a religious affiliation of none. N-O-N-E. They don't want to be atheist or agnostic because that doesn't make any sense and they would admit that. But they don't want to be a follower of Christianity because they can't believe in all the weird things that we apply to the biblical text that it was never, ever intended to be. 35% of millennials claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. And in fairness, after the 9-11 attacks... Many people flocked to churches, and all churches said was, I believe the Bible. And people walked out because it seemed like people weren't using their brains. It's not hard to analyze how we got here. It's not hard to figure out why this struggle occurs. It's not hard to figure out why generations have been pushed away when all we say is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's way better than that. And the version of faith that we talk about of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is not going to communicate to anyone who's not already in your club. And we see these consequences over and over and over again. We even have a term for it now. It's called deconversion. And I'm not trying to debate, are you saved, are you not saved, all those things. It's called deconversion. It's people who said, I really liked being a follower of Jesus, but... It happens all the time. Go ahead and put my deconversion chart up for me. This is a typical way people deconvert. They grow up in a Christian environment. Now, in fairness, we know from analyzing this in studies, this is true in, in Islamic culture and in Jewish culture and in Buddhist culture. So I'm just picking on you because we're in this group. They grow up in a Christian environment. They have some kind of conversion early on in life. And it's meaningful and it's valuable and it's important to them. 
Then for whatever reason, they leave that environment and they go to another environment. Usually we describe that as going off to college. We describe that as taking a new job. We describe that as split families. Whatever occurs, they go to a new environment where the Christian subculture may not be the dominant culture. They like it. And in fairness, please I'll apologize for this later, but we know it's true. If you're sinning and you're not having fun doing it at the moment, you're not doing it right. There's a reason that we sin. It seems fun at the moment. Every sin has long-term consequences you pay with forever. But if it wasn't fun in the moment, we wouldn't do it. They liked it. And then they came back to their original environment and they asked questions. They asked adult questions about their childhood faith. You told me Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Well, the Bible tells me lots of other stuff. And the only answer we give in study after study after study of deconversions is this. The parents said, you know, I don't know about that. I just believe the Bible. And then the person didn't get an answer there, and they went asking fact-based questions and kept getting faith-based answers. Typical one we usually hear these time of de- this time of year is, hey, you know, there's, no, there's absolutely no archaeological evidence for an exodus of the people from Egypt into the Promised Land. You know that, right? You know, there's no archaeological evidence for Jericho's walls falling. Sorry if I've destroyed your Bible for a second. I can explain to you all of that and do that in tedious detail. Oh, by the way, I hear we have Bible study classes after this. I hear the text is 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, if you want to talk about that. That's not my point. My point is, all, people, all we said to them is, I don't know about that. I just believe the Bible. Just for a moment, pretend that I'm not attacking your faith because you believe the Bible. Aren't there things in the Bible that make you uncomfortable? How about 2 Kings chapter 2? And if you know what that is off the top of your head, that's awesome. By the way, if you do have children's moment when it's 2 Kings chapter 2, good luck to you. Elijah is leaving the earth. Elisha is taking over. Almost the very first thing that happens to Elisha is a bunch of kids make fun of him for being old and bald. And according to the biblical text, he sends a bear after them and 42 children die. That's in the Bible. You should read it. It's awesome. Um, Does that not make you uncomfortable? I mean, I can explain to you why that is, but just that's not your job. Let me just pick something else. Oh, it's another good children's moment. Exodus 33. If you have children's moment when it's Exodus 33 or Bible says Exodus 33, be sick. In Exodus 33, Moses is has literally screaming at God, you need to do what you're supposed to do because you're not doing your job, God. And God goes, okay, sure, whatever. And they argue for a little while longer. And then God goes, okay, I need to honor you somehow. So he tucks Moses into the cleft of the rock and according to the biblical text he gets to see the back image of God when you do that with children and they come what'd you learn today oh we learned today that God showed his backside to Moses doesn't make you a little uncomfortable how that works you're not thinking 
Well, I just believe it because it said that. Okay, good. And I am perfectly fine with you saying that for the rest of your life and your faith growing or that. But you're not going to be able to communicate to a vast majority of the world we live in. Let me try to explain this carefully. Your faith is not based in a book. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. No more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Does your birth certificate, did it come before you or after you? Duh. Birth certificate is proof of what happened. So is the biblical text. Let me try to give you a framework to work with when you talk to people who make fun of your faith and why you think the biblical writings are important. I'm going to try to do this quick. I edited this down on Friday when I could barely function, so just go with me. Why do we value and study the Old Testament? Christians take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus took the Old Testament seriously. Have you read the New Testament? Jesus seems to think the Old Testament is inspired. Jesus seems to think it's important. And in just in casual glance of things that I scribbled down, he talks about Abraham, Noah, Moses, Isaac and Jacob, Isaiah, David and Solomon, just to mention a few. Jesus even speaks of the creation narrative. You know, that Adam and Eve story. So why does this matter? Why is the pastor ranting and raving about something this morning? Well, if your answer to everything is, the Bible says it, that settles it, you're going to seem kind of silly on this next argument. Here's the question. What's the better way to answer someone who mocks you legitimately when you say, you don't really believe that Adam and Eve myth about the garden and the silly apple, do you? So how should you answer this? Now, let's just be fair. Sorry, go ahead. Let's just be fair. The crux of this question leads you to a whole bunch of other things. And if your answer is, I just believe it because the Bible says it, that settles it. You're pushing generations away. I know that may work for you, and I'm happy that works for you. But it's not communicating what was intended and if i consult every single jewish rabbi on the planet they would say that's not why the book of genesis was written i tend to consult jewish rabbis when it comes to the old testament sorry the correct answer would be for those of you playing at home is yeah i believe it because jesus thought the creation narrative was important you get to say that part when i say it i say it like this hey Jesus believed in the creation narrative. You don't have a problem with Jesus, do you? Because Jesus, you know, he's a really cool guy. You don't have a problem with Jesus, do you? I didn't think so. Thanks. I really do say that. I've actually said that this week on campus at the college, just so you know. Um, you may say that differently. That's fine. Use your personality because that's what God intended you to do. But if your answer is simply the Bible says it, that settles it, you've limited the number of people who will listen to anything you say about your faith. Now, you may be like, well, you might say something a little less aggressive than I do. Hey, 
that Old Testament narrative in Genesis seems weird to me. And I'm not sure why there's two different tellings of the creation narrative. If you didn't know that, you should read your Bible, by the way. There's two different tellings of the narrative. And, and it seems really odd to me. And, and I don't know if I understand all of those narratives and why they're important. But Jesus thought it was important. Jesus thought it was inspired. You don't have a problem with Jesus, do you? Because nobody has a problem with Jesus. No rational historian denies that Jesus existed. Here's what I need us to see. You are not called to defend every single thing that in the biblical text. You are not called to prove that Joshua made the sun stand still in Joshua 10 when you know good and well in science class that we go around the sun, not the other way around. You are not called to defend that. 1 Peter chapter 3 Verse 15, which we're going to come back to during Easter season. This is what you're called to do. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Not, I believe it because the Bible says it. That doesn't sound like hope. That sounds like a cop-out answer. You don't need to explain every detail. You don't need to explain if the earth is 6,000 years old. A poetic imagery in the book of Genesis Old Earth theory, really old Earth theory, or we have no clue. And by the way, those are five perspectives of the book of Genesis. You don't need to explain that. You need to explain the hope that's within you. Our goal is to get people to Jesus as quickly as possible, not argue over the tedium to get there. Now, if you have been listening, you have one problem with what I just said. And if you don't have this problem, you haven't been listening, I'm sorry, I've done a bad job teaching. So let me get this straight, John. You're telling me we should believe those Old Testament books because of what's written in the New Testament books. Isn't that all in the same book? So you're using part of one book to prove another book. Absolutely not. I don't have time to cover this. I'll cover this another time. Oh, I know when. Resurrection Sunday. The word la Biblia, which is a Greek word in the Latin doesn't occur until at least 380 A.D. Most scholars think 400 A.D. What you know as the Bible does not exist until 400 A.D. Now, there were pieces of books around, and there were copies of Gospels, and there were all these pieces around, but they were not collected and put together until 400 A.D. Most scholars believe that the Old Testament was not collected and put together until 100 A.D. Why 100 A.D.? Because the Christians thought it was important. After all this time, then the Christians thought it was important. Why did the Christians want to collect it together? Because Jesus thought it was important. It's a lot easier for me to express the hope that I have when I say Jesus thought it was important versus just saying the Bible says it. One last thing about the argument about using the New Testament to defend the Old Testament you remember back in college, or maybe in high school, you had to go through this. You had to read this collection of literary short stories. And I will not look at our humanity person right now as I do this. I'll look this way. Um, that big book, a collection of short stories that you had to buy in college that cost you $80 back when I was in college, so I don't even want to think about what it is now. And you only read five of the short stories in the hundred short stories in that book. Those short stories were not great because they were in the book. They were included in the book because they were already great. 
Every biblical book was already considered great and verified. And that's why it was collected together. It wasn't great because it's the Bible. It was great before that. You just know it is the Bible because the books are great. By the way, if you're wondering, that passes standard scholarly academic things, so just smile and nod. Hey, there's a New Testament. This is way more fun and not quite as tedious. Let me do this quickly. Christians do not believe the New Testament books are reliable simply because they are found in the Bible. I'm sure you would have figured that out already. It's way better than that. Now I get to prove the rest of my seminary degree is in church history. Just go with me and try not to look at the self family when they roll their eyes when a certain picture comes up on the screen because they'll see this coming. About 30 A.D., Jesus died on the cross. Now, some of you are thinking, I thought he lived to be about 33 years. There's a calendar problem, and it got messed up. Just smile and nod and say, okay, John, 30 A.D. I don't want to spend 10 minutes explaining a tedious thing that's really annoying. 30 A.D. So Jesus dies, 30 A.D. A few days later, people start following, and as best we can tell based on the historical evidence, people start writing things down because things aren't going exactly the way they thought they were going to go. And Christianity spreads and spreads out in different places. There is no Bible. There is no hymnal. There are no people like me with degrees and all this stuff. Start spreading out. <sighs> then about 36 years later, the beginning of an incredible historical event that many people have compared to an apocalypse happens. It's the first Roman Jewish war. You can Google this. I've made sure in my notes to have everything you could easily find with Google to see that I'm not just making this up. First Roman Jewish War. The general emperor's name I always blank on, Vespasian? Yes, Vespasian. He's a general. They have a problem. Shocker, you've read the biblical text. The Jews are fighting with the Romans. Always. Constantly. Because the Jews believe in their faith they can never be ruled by someone else. So it's constant fight. Vespasian is sent in, and he just levels everything. But some of the Jewish guerrilla warfare people, think terrorists, conquer Masada. That name should mean something to you. They conquer Jerusalem, and they take over a Roman garrison, and they've got more military supplies there than any human should be allowed to have. And they have it there, and they are holding the Romans off. They're taunting the Romans. They're even sending people out to attack the Romans because they have so much military might. Vespasian, okay, fine. I can't do He just obliterates anyone who even looks Jewish anywhere within like a 50-mile radius. It's gruesome and bloody, and you can Google this very easily. It's not hard to find this information. But I'm thinking many of you have never heard this before. Because we don't teach this in Western civilization and world history anymore. As typically happens in the Roman Empire, an emperor dies or gets killed or gets stabbed. Think Nero. Um, and eventually, they need to find somebody important who will unite the empire. They usually run to a general, which I never understood, but they do. Vespasian, who's been in charge of just obliterating the Jews because they're so annoying to the Romans... He goes back to Rome to become emperor. He sends his son Titus at the beginning of the year 70 A.D. to Jerusalem. I'm going to put up the next picture. 
there's an arch in Rome today that still stands today, would have been built in the most prominent place during Domitian's reign in Rome to commemorate Titus destroying Jerusalem in A.D. 70. They destroy it. Everything's gone. They burn the temple to the ground. They take the menorah. And I want to make sure I get this right because I want to make sure you can Google this. And the table of the bread of God's presence, which are those two items you see up there. They carry them out and they commemorate this because this was such a huge historical event in Rome that everyone needed to know about it. This was a big deal. Why do I tell you this? One, I really like this story. But two... The biblical writers don't talk about this. Think about this for a second. If you're Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or Paul, you know Paul the Jew? The Jew who's going to be the king of the Jews? Not the Jesus kind, the really seminary king of the Jews? He never mentions the temple being destroyed. Not once. Now, John in his gospel may make reference to it because he probably did write his gospel later. Second Peter, which you're going to study, those of you going to class in a few minutes are going to study, was written later. And he may make a vague reference to it later in Second Peter. Why would the gospel writers not include this? Why would Matthew, trying to convince Jews that Jesus was the way, why would he not include this event? He basically could preach a sermon that would be amazing. Hey, we told you Jesus was the way and God showed you and he, they smashed the temple and everything you believe in is gone. See, Jesus was right. Ha, 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 ha. Why does Matthew not say that? There is only one reasonable academic reason for that. It hadn't happened yet. So Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel... Luke's gospel are written before A.D. 70. Why do I tell this in this very tedious detail and going a long time? Feeling my voice is going to go out and some of you are hoping it does. Um, Jesus died 30 A.D. This happened before A.D. 70. That's within 40 years. That we have documents that were written and were passed around. That cost them the equivalent of $50,000 for every copy they made. Paper couldn't be found at Walmart there. You had to spend your life savings to get it. There were eyewitnesses. Why do I tell you this? Have you ever heard the Jewish Holocaust by Hitler was a hoax? We're starting to hear that now, aren't we? Because the people who were there, very few of them are alive, if any. You have to wait 70 years for a legend to, have, to take form. This was written before it was possible for a legend to take form. Second Peter, that some of you will study in a few minutes, is a second-generation Christian who still was told these narratives and still could verify these narratives. Why do we believe the New Testament? Because of when the New Testament was written. For the first 300 years, the faith debate centered on an event, not a book. We've turned it into a book. The original version of Christianity is based on an event. We do not believe in Jesus because of a book. It's way better than that. 
I mean, do you think people who are writing stuff within 30, 40 years of it happening forgot that Jesus rose from the dead? Of course not. Jesus loves you, this you know, because John and Matthew and Mark and Luke and Peter and Paul and James told you so when eyewitnesses were still alive to confirm or deny their written claims. It's not Jesus loves you, this we know, for the Bible tells me so. It is way better than that. And if you want to communicate to a world today, you need to talk about it that way. You may not believe what I just said and everything I just unpacked, that's fine. But if you want to communicate to the world your faith, you need to talk about it this way. Otherwise, you might as well just talk to a brick wall. I'm going to pray and tie this together. And aren't you glad that I'm going to be gone for several weeks? You want to listen to me rant and rave. No, I'm joking. Um, let's pray. Holy God, thank you that you are almighty. Thank you that you are all powerful. And thank you that the Bible is not just something that fell from the sky that I steal off my neighbor's porch. Thank you that the things that were written in the biblical books weren't written because they thought they were inspired. They were written because of what they saw. Thank you. Help me to remember that when I'm fighting the tedious battles of theology of life. To know that this stuff matters. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.